Cubs fans in Chicago wanted to kill Steve Bartman. In fact, there were uh, death threats on him, and uh, he had to get security to get him out of Wrigley Field, and then he had to actually uh, buy security systems for his house because people were trying to take him out. Now, Marlin fans, on the other hand, wanted to make him the mayor of Miami, you know? They were ready to have him walk through and to celebrate that. Because at any game, at any game, there are two types of people. There are players and there are spectators. And that's the way it is with life, too, that there are two types of people in life. There are players and there are spectators. Now, the game is in the hands of the players. The only gifts that matter are the gifts of the players. They hone them, they work on them, that's what's most important. They're the ones that get written about, they're the ones who uh, get interviewed, they're the ones who have highlight reels. Spectators, all they do is just watch. That's all they do. Their gifts are not as important as the players. Nobody ever walks up to someone and says, you know, I think that you would be a great spectator in a year or so. Jump into a minor league team, and before you know it, you'll be a bleacher bum. You know? People don't say that. I want you to uh, imagine, just for a second, that the Cubs are in the playoffs. Now, I know that's a very large stretch, okay? But let's just imagine for a second that the Cubs are in the playoffs. And at the first game of the playoffs, uh, the umpire throws out the pitch to the uh, pitcher and the game gets started. And pretty soon you notice that up in the left field balcony, there's a whole bunch of commotion that's going on. And one of the bleacher bums stands up and he leaves his seat. And the friends are still coherent at this time because, uh, you know, it's in the early innings and they're not trashed quite yet. And so they ask him, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just tired of staying in the bleachers. Life's too short. I'm going on to the field. I'm getting into the game. And his friends look at each other and they say, this guy makes sense. Let's go, dude. And they all start heading towards the field. Now, although bleacher bums are not necessarily known for uh, clarity of thinking, all of them get up and they all go down together. And soon there's this movement that spreads in all of Wrigley Field and all 30,000 of the spectators start going down to the field. They're standing on the diamond now. And they're saying, we're tired of watching. We want to step up to the plate. We're on the field. We want to play the game. We want to run. We want to hit. We want to field. We want to throw. Our days of standing up in the nosebleed section, cheering for someone else is not going to happen. We're going to be the players. Now just imagine, folks, if you're at a sporting event and all of a sudden in the middle of it, everyone leaves and starts going to the field. You know those guys with yellow jackets that try to keep everybody back? They don't have enough. If all 60,000, 30,000, whatever, go to the field. And the people get down there and they go, we want in the game, we want to play. We're tired of sitting in the stands. We want to be players. Can you imagine the huge shift? The paradigm shift that would happen to all of the sports if all of the spectators who were paying their money said, no longer do we just want to sit in the stands, but we actually want to get in the game. We want to play. You see, folks, there is a misconception, a misperception of God's people. And it's happened over and over and over again from generation to generation. And the falsity, the misperception is, is that people are divided into two categories. The players, which may be the pastors, 
or the priest or the paid staff, and then the spectators, which is everybody else, all the lay people. But I want you to know this morning that is that is not God's will for his people. And every once in a while, what happens is a person is sitting in the chairs that you're sitting in or in the bleachers, and they just decide, they wake up and they say, I'm leaving the stands and I'm getting into the game. I'm going to get into the game. And when that happens, what God does is that it fills God's heart with tremendous joy. And this morning... My prayer is, and what I've been praying this week, is that it may happen to some of you in this gym. Some of you, by the end of this time together, I hope will make a decision that says, I'm getting out of the stands, I'm going down into the field, and I'm getting into the game. I'm going to make my life about doing the work of God. Now, Scripture, throughout both the Old and New Testament, God continually calls His followers to get into the game. And today, the story that we're going to look at is kind of the beginning point of this. It's kind of the stirring of this whole concept. In Exodus 18, which we're going to look at here in a second, we'll see that. Now, what's happened up until this point is that this large group of people, about 2 million, have been in slavery for over 400 years. And God comes and He liberates them from slavery. He says, you're free to go. And He uses a person by, the guy, by a man named Moses who helps deliver them. And they walk away from Pharaoh, who is the only one that people had followed before. They wipe him out, and now they're walking in the wilderness. And Jethro... Moses' father-in-law comes up to visit him one day, and he's watching all of this going on. And he's seeing the way that Moses and the people of Israel are operating. And then starting in verse 13, it says this. The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people, while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that, was doing, that all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make known... To them, the statutes and the instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and the instructions and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. You should also look for able men among all people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set such men over them as officers, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law, and he did all that he said. Moses chose able men from Israel and appointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but any minor case they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went off to his own country. 
This story is the beginning of God releasing His work into people's hands. That ministry was not just for Moses, but ministry was for all people. All people should be serving. Now, for the rest of our time together, I simply want to give you five questions for you to uh, answer and to look at. They're in your teaching uh, outline, so if you're not typically a teaching outline person, pull this out. And uh, I made it real easy for you. You only have to circle one word yes or one no. That's it, okay? Either circle yes or no. And what we're going to do is I'm going to give you the question, talk a little bit about it, and then at the end I'm going to ask you to honestly kind of circle that. So don't circle them all right now, okay? Wait until uh, we go through each one of them, and then at the end, uh, circle either yes or no. So here's the first question. Do I perceive myself to be a minister of Christ? Think about that yourself. Do you understand, do you feel that you are a minister of Christ? Before God liberated uh, the people of Egypt out, or the people of God out of Egypt, out of slavery... Everything the people had experienced before was Pharaoh. Everything that surrounded them was this guy named Pharaoh. For 400 years, the organizational chart kind of looked like this. Pharaoh, everybody else. There's only two levels. Pharaoh, and then everybody else. I mean, everybody else was simply a gopher for the king, the president, the big kahuna of Egypt. Now, Israel is on their own now. They're in a wilderness. Everything now revolves around Moses. There's Moses and then everybody else. Moses and then everybody else. And in the very first part of this story in Exodus, this is what we learned that the people did. Remember in verse 13, it says this, The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people, which meant he was the leader, he was the counselor, he was the advisor, he was the one who gave wisdom, and so on. While the people did what? Stood around. Until what? Morning till what? Night. So you got all these people, they're just standing here. We're waiting on Moses. What number are you? You know, it's like the old BMV. Remember, you'd take that little thing and you'd pull it out and you'd just hold there. And then you knew you had ten hours before you were going to, you know, get up to the line. And that's what everybody's doing. Because only those people can, you know, handle this. And that's the way it was with Moses. Moses was the player. Everyone else was a spectator. Several years ago, uh, in the PGA, the Professional Golfers uh, Association, Um, On the tour, a strange chant started to happen. A player was out golfing, and he was doing extremely well. He was beating all the field. I mean, he was just on fire. He was just killing everyone else. No one was even close to him in this golf game. And finally, after a great shot, you heard one boy shout out, You demand! Wow, that was really loud, wasn't it? You demand! That's what he said. You demand. And for some reason, this just kind of caught on. And for the rest of the tournament, this guy just kept pulling away further and further and further from the rest of the pack. And every time that he would hit a great shot, all of the gallery would start saying, You demand! You demand! And what that meant was, the only person that counts is you. You're the best. You're the one. You're the player. All these other golfers are just spectators. They're watching you play. It's kind of like when I golf with Chuck Mock, you know? He just watches everything I do, you know? And then he starts shouting. It's embarrassing sometimes, you know? But he'll start shouting, You demand! You demand! I just got Chuck. All right, I know, I know. Well, in the same way, this is what's happening, folks. Pharaoh is there in in all of Israel at that time when they're in Egypt. Everyone's going to Pharaoh. You demand! You demand! And Pharaoh's like, I know. I'm the man. 
I'm the big man. And now the people of Israel, that's the only organizational chart that they've ever seen before. And so when Moses gets to this point of power, they all start telling Moses, Moses, you the man. All day long, people would come to him, busy with the work of God, all day long, all night long. He was the expert. He was the mouthpiece of God. He was the only one that gave advice or counsel or wisdom. He was the only one who was wise enough to lead and to guide and to help people grow in their relationship and to take care of family affairs. And everywhere he went, people would say, Moses, you the man! You solve it! And his father Jethro is watching all of this and he simply says, this is not good. I mean, Jethro is kind of like the first church consultant, you know? Uh, of the church. He, he walks in he's like, whoa, this isn't good. And he says, this is not good for you, Moses, for you to take care of the needs of every other person, of everyone in this nation. It's not good. This is not God's plan for his people. You see, God's plan, folks, is for his work to be released to his people. And this is kind of the beginning of the story. And by the time it gets to the New Testament, and by the time it gets to the church, God says, I'll use anyone. I don't even need prophets and priests and kings, because all people can be that now. Every person can be a prophet or a priest or a king. In fact, in Galatians it says this, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. That means everyone can be called on to use their gifts at any time to do the work of God. The Bible also says this, In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. God calls all people to be ministers. Every ordinary person can do extraordinary things when they give themselves up to God and say, God, whatever it is that I have, use my gifts for the building up of your church and for the growth of our community. It's not just pastors. It's not just leaders. It's not just people with degrees. It's not the educated. It's not just the rich. But all people are called to use whatever gifts they have so that God would be made great. Folks, I don't know how you view yourself. But I have a feeling that sometime, if you looked in the mirror and there were people around, you may not look at yourself all that great. And what often happens is, when people first come to Christ, or they're just beginning their journey, they don't fully see themselves as God sees them. But God views you And for you to view yourself, he says it like this, as a vital channel through whom God directs his life to the members of the body of Christ and to the world. Every morning when you wake up and you look into the mirror, you should say to yourself, I am a vital channel through whom God directs his life to other members of the body of Christ, that is, those in the church, and to the rest of the world. But is that how you perceive yourself? Do you realize that you are a vital channel in the life and the flow of God? It's nothing to get inflated about or be cocky about or arrogant, but it is a gift and it's true. It's who you are. You are a vital channel in the flow of God. So we don't do a lot of liturgical things here very much where there's litanies and that kind of thing, but we're going to kind of do one today. So I'd like you to turn to the person beside you, and depending on their gender, I'd just like you to say, you to man, or you to woman. And then, this is, what I, this is the way I want you to, the other person to respond. No, 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 no. You to man. You the woman. Okay, so go ahead. Go ahead and try it here.
So, what I'd like you to do now is I'd like you to circle the answer to that first question. Do you perceive yourself as a minister of Christ? As honestly as you can. Yes or no? You the man. You the woman. Here's the next question. Have you gotten into the game? Have you gotten into the game? You need to ask yourself, have I gotten into the game? Are you actively serving in the body of Christ, the church? Have you gotten out of the stands, out of the bleachers, and into the game? Maybe for some of you, what it means to get into the game is that you come just a little bit earlier to help set up chairs or to work with hospitality or uh, to pour some coffee or to uh, you know, do whatever. But you say, you know what? I just don't want to sit in the bleachers. I want to get in the game. Maybe you want to help with impact, our middle school and high school ministry. We do provide counseling for anyone who does that. Um, but uh, if you want to do that... So you guys got it. There you go. But you can do that. Have you gotten out of the stands yet? Greg Ogden wrote a book uh, several years ago called The New Reformation. And basically what he said is that there are two types of churches when it comes right down to it. There are pastor-centered churches and there are people-centered churches. And... uh, Pastor-centered churches are a lot like what Moses' life was like before Exodus 18. Everything just revolved around him. In fact, in many ways, uh, the jar for the first few years was very pastor-centered. Everything was around me. In these types of churches, there are only two people. There are pastors and then everybody else. And pastors do the real ministry. They teach, they counsel, they visit, they shepherd. And the people's primary job is to cheer the pastor on. Way to go! Maybe they assist in some small ways, but most of all, they're just cheerleaders. But the model is the pastor does the ministry and the people watch. But that's not God's will for His people. God's will is for the ministry to be released so that everyone fulfills the call of God. He wants everyone to come out of the stands and onto the field and to get into the game. And every once in a while it happens. There's a couple in our church who uh, started coming uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, when they first came, they just kind of were in the bleachers. They were... In the seats. And that's a fine place to be. When you first come and you're connecting and you're exploring the faith, you shouldn't try to get involved in 40 different things. You should probably come and kind of say, hey, am I going to be committed to this thing? And so they did that. But after about six months, uh, the guy in this relationship was like, I don't want to sit in the bleachers anymore. I want to get in the game. And so he signed up for children's ministry. And once a month, uh, he goes and he serves. And And helps with the kids. Well, his girlfriend started noticing him doing this. And I think she got a little bit jealous. And she's like, well, he ain't going to be the only one getting in the game. I'm going to get in the game too. And she went and she signed up herself and him to get in a small group. Now, most guys, when you talk about small groups, most of them freak out. Like, I ain't going to no small group. I ain't going to small group. I ain't going to sit there in a circle, a whole bunch of people, and they're going to be asking me to share my deepest, darkest thoughts. Not me. You the woman. <laughs> but you know, when you're in a relationship, and they were living together at this time, you finally just have to say, okay, I'll follow you. You the woman. Okay. So he reluctantly went the first time, and he, he was you know, bound to determine he wasn't going to like anybody, I don't think, around the group. But he got there, and all of a sudden, people, the guys started talking about football. 
started talking about work, started talking about all kinds of stuff that he could relate with. And nobody pointed him out. No one asked him to, uh, you know, tell his deepest, darkest thoughts. And he's like, this is pretty good. And he and his girlfriend kept going more and more, and uh, people in the group started welcoming them and, and caring for them, and the group started to grow. They eventually got married together, and uh, their small group was there again. And over time, this group just built into their life, and they started building into other people's life, and uh, the group began to get large enough to where they realized that somebody had to start a new small group. But they're like, who's going to do it? And they wondered who, and eventually they prayed, and the Holy Spirit kind of directed them and said, you're to do it. So for the past year, this married couple have been going through training and process to start their own group, starting in the fall. And you know, I think about how far that couple has come. From sitting in the bleachers to actually getting into the game, and I'm just so amazed. Their relationship with God has grown by leaps and bounds. They're continually trying to see what else is God calling us to do, and more and more their life has become devoted to God. And I hear them talk about this so much that they say, you know what, at first I gave, but I never realized that I would get back so much more when I gave. The more I gave the more I've gotten back. I mean, they just decided that the bleachers was not the best seat, but that the best seat was to be on the field. Now, this is my question. What if they hadn't have done that? What if when the Holy Spirit came and spoke to them and said, hey, this is what I want, what if they said, nah, not me? They would have missed watching God's hand work in so many powerful ways in their life as a couple, in their family, with their friends, with this small group of people. And this fall, there'll be a brand new group of folks who they will care for and they will love. And those lives will be changed, maybe for eternity, because they chose to get out of the stands. And if this couple would not have said yes, they would have missed out on the greatest opportunity of all, and that's being used by the one true God. And let me just be very frank right now. Some of you are missing out on some of the greatest adventures of your life. You're trying to find it in so many other ways, and the greatest adventure, I'm telling you, is to be used by the hands of God. For God to come down and say, hey, I want to use you in this way. And you give your life to Him. Now some of you are involved in ministry and uh, you're in the game. And God's telling you this morning, keep plugging away regardless of the ups and the downs. Keep staying in the game. Others of you are checking out Christianity or you might be hurting right now. You may be hurting so much that you can't get in the game. You need to get connected in CR or something and get healed up and celebrate recovery so that you can be healed up so that you could get into the game. But friends, some of you have been sitting in the stands too long and you've been comfortable and you've gotten used to cheering for everybody else who's on the field and booing them when things don't go well. And it has been far too long, if ever, since you've actually gotten into the game. And the Spirit is saying to some of you this morning, today is your day. It's time to get out of the stands and to get into the game. I mean, God is calling you to be a player. Because I'm telling you folks, you don't want to get to the end of your life. And I've been there with many people before. But you don't want to get to the end of your life and say, God called me to go and to serve within His body, within the church. And I could have used my gifts of hospitality or service or teaching or mercy. And I just never opened up the gift. I'm telling you folks, you don't want to get to the end of your life and do that. Some of you need to make a phone call tomorrow. The church office will be open and you just say, I want to get in the game. And we'll figure out a way to get you plugged in, to get you focused in on something. And in a couple of years from now, your story may just be like the story of the couple that I just shared. Okay, so question number two, yes or no? 
Have I gotten into the game? Here's question number three. Am I growing in ministry? Am I growing in ministry? Now, in pastor-centered churches, the people get stagnant. Look at what it says in verse 13. The people stood around him from morning until evening. Like I said, they're just all, they're all just standing there. But where you find people getting into the game, there is where you find people growing. So here are some questions that I just want to ask you uh, to help you with this larger question. Am I more or less motivated to serve the church today than I was a year ago? Are you more or less motivated than you were a year ago? Am I able to serve more effectively than I was a year ago? Am I more effective in my service? What's my plan to develop God's gifts that God has given me? And then finally, do I have someone to mentor me? And that always takes some humility. You have to find somebody who they might only be that much further along than you are in their spiritual path. But you go, you know what? Hey, I'd like to meet with you. Could we connect? Could we grow together? Now, there's something today that's happening today that will help many of you to take that next step, and it's our baptism class. I mean, if you haven't been baptized before, what are you waiting for? Go to the class today. You just head right out those doors. Don't keep going. Just take a right once you get out there, and there's a conference room. There'll be lunch and uh, child care, and it's right there. And you begin a journey of serving Jesus right after church. And we'll be done no later than 1.30. I promise. I mean, what else do you have this afternoon, if you have not been baptized, better to do than to make that thing right in your life? I mean, what are you going to do? Just go outside and sweat for the next two hours? You know? You stay cool in here. Child care is provided. Now, others of you, you've already been baptized and you've been committed. People that come in the summer are committed people. You know what I mean? People that don't come in the summer, well, they're not committed, I guess, you know. But what you need to do is decide, you know what, I've I've been here, but I haven't really made this my church. So for you, I'm going to give you a date that is two months out. So there'll be no question whatsoever that you'll have plenty of time to put that on your calendar today. Because if I don't tell you that right now, you know what's going to happen is you're like, oh man, I'm wanting to go, but uh, you know, Aunt Sally called me and wants me to work on her defibrillator uh, cap. I don't even know what that is. So. <laughs> Distributor cap, I don't know. Isn't a defibrillator like for your heart or something? I've been a little sick, just a little bit. September 25th, though. September 25th. Put it on your calendar right now. Say, you know what, I'm going to the life course. I'm going to make that decision to make this my community and begin to start drawing other people into it. Okay, yes or no on that. Am I growing in my ministry? Question number four. Am I helping other people as ministers? Am I helping other people as ministers? Am I identifying? Am I affirming? Am I calling people to use their giftedness for others? And you can find out if you're doing this or not. Are you going around people who are new or maybe connected and you're saying, you know what? You the man. You the woman. Come down from the stands. We're doing something right now. I want you to be a part of it. The best way you ever get people connected is when you give a personal ask. Now, Moses does this. And if you would, look with me at this next passage of Scripture. It's in Numbers chapter 11. And again, we see God challenging people that the releasing of the ministry, that everyone is involved in participating, is what's key. And so there are 70 elders that are appointed by Moses. And when we lead up to this story, there are 70 people, and many of these people are now starting to prophesy. In other words, they're being able to speak God's words to other folks. And look what it says in verse 26. Two men 
remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Joshua was saying, I mean, Moses is the only one who could speak. No one else should be speaking. And Joshua knows that if others start doing this, see, what's going to happen is Moses won't be so special. So Joshua says, stop them. Now, who do you guess is number two after Moses? Joshua. Now, look at what it says in verse 29. This is how Moses responds. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. And the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. There you see the absolute heart of Moses. He just longs to see people being used by God in joyful ways so that the ministry of God is taken care of. I mean, his heart is a million miles away of saying, you know what, I'm the only person who should be speaking. No one else should be speaking God's words. He says, are you jealous for me? Don't be. Because my desire is that his spirit would fall upon everybody and every single person would be prophesying and giving God's words of good news to others. Are you helping other people to discover their God-given gifts, taking people and encouraging them and loving them into the family of God? Last week, my uh, dad turned 74, and part of the reason we went on vacation is because we wanted to celebrate that with him. And we got to the end of the week, and uh, we wanted to do a special surprise for him, and so... Uh, we found out that he liked the uh, showboat Branson Bell, which is a uh, big boat, and uh, they have a dinner theater and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we were the youngest family in all of Branson, I think, but, you know, <laughs> nonetheless, we went there to do it for my dad because we love him. And, um, and I just want you to imagine, we, we bought these tickets, we got it all ready for him, Let's say that we put it in a birthday card and we gave it to him and he never opened the card. I'm just saying, imagine. He didn't do that. I mean, but just imagine that he did. Let's say he refused to open it. Day after day, he refused to do it. He never got on the boat. He never experienced the food. He never saw the entertainment. He never saw what the view was like from there to shore. He never got to hang out with his family. He just never opened the gift. Now, folks, God has gifted every single person in this place, and he is longing for you to open up and to use whatever gifts God has given you for the building up of his church and for the growth of our community. And one of those is to look around the people who are around you, who you see, and to be able to say to them, you the man, you the woman, you're doing a great job. You have this gift, you have that gift. Get involved in the body of Christ. So fourth question, am I helping others grow as ministers? Yes or no? Now some of you are pretty excited at this point of the teaching. Because you honestly, as you just looked at those four questions, you circled yes on each one of them. Do I perceive myself to be a minister of Christ? Yes, I do. Have you gotten into the game? Yes, to the best of my ability and with all I can do, I'm in the game. Am I growing in ministry? Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best that I can. I'm growing. And am I helping others to grow? Yeah, I'm helping. And so you're kind of pumped up right now if you're one of those people that have four yeses. And you're like, four for four. Four in a row. And you're wondering, what is question number five? So here's question number five. Have you eliminated all pride from your life? Have you eliminated all pride from your life? Yes or no? How could you answer that? I mean, are you going to say, I have reached such a level of humility that amazes myself sometimes. 
And the reason I ask this question is because I want you to see the spirit of Moses and the spirit that God wants all of his children to possess. In Numbers uh, 12, there is a comment that is made about Moses. In verse 3 it says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, folks, that's quite a statement. And this is one of the reasons why we know that Moses didn't write all five books, the first five books of the Bible, at least in their final form, because, I mean, who else would write about themselves and say, you know, I was the most humble man in the world. Actually, I'm going to write that down. I am the most humble man in the world. But that was just the spirit of Moses. He's like, hey, I don't have to be the number one prophet to be fulfilled? Because if I had my way, God would pour out His Spirit on every single person and everyone would prophesy and show God's love and give His words. And the day was going to come in which that would actually happen. God's Spirit descended upon the people of God on the birth date of the church, on the day of Pentecost, and the Scripture tells us that now the gifts were handed out to everyone, that there is no difference between Chris Bunch and whoever else, that we all are gifted in our different ways, and God wants to use us very much in the areas that we're gifted. Now, both Moses could have gone a totally different way and said, I'm the big, bad, number one prophet. Only me and me only will decide all the things. Instead, though, he doesn't do that. He has Jesus' heart. And he models the heart of a servant who serves other people. Folks, all of us are called to be players. And to be a player means to be a servant. Well, answer that last question. Have you eliminated all pride from your life? The way we're going to uh, close uh, this morning is... um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, Derek is going to kind of lead us in a a final song. And the way that I'd like you to do that is I'd like you to just kind of hold your hands out. You don't have to do it right now, but when we get ready to pray. So hold your hands out like this. And what area of pride that you're struggling with in your life, that you would just offer that to God? Whatever that is. What area of pride that you haven't eliminated, that you'd offer that to God? And then secondly, that you would offer your life afresh, anew, in this place to say, God, use my life for whatever you want, God. I'm willing to be used by you. Because today really is the day for you to get out of the stands. And if you've been in the stands for a while, I can't more strongly encourage you than to say, maybe this is the exact day that God is saying, hold yourself out to me. Surrender yourself to me and let me use you. So if you would, just hold your hands out just for a second and I'll lead us uh, in a prayer. God, we uh, offer our pride to you. You know the area, God, so we, so we just give it to you. I pray right now, God, that you would humble me and every other person in those areas that we need humbled in. And God, that you would encourage us with great encouragement in those places in our life we need encouraged. We also offer our gifts to you, God. Use us so that your name would be made great. Thank you for calling us to serve you, for forgiving us, for calling us your best friend. Help us to surrender all and to follow you.
of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart. Bless your name, bless your name, Jesus. In the deeds of the day, in the truth in my way, speaks of you, speaks of you, Jesus. For this is what I'm glad to do. It's time to live a life of love that pleases you. And I will give my all to pleases you, Lord, and serves you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, you guys are dismissed. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. And if you have any prayer uh, requests at all, there'll be a prayer team up here, and they will love. They would love to pray with you. So.
Come closer to me. 